We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often an hour's. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one day rule on its head and offer back to back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code datable and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. Hi, I'm Yui Shu. And I'm Julie Kraftchik. We're active daters turned dating sociologists. Here to dive into everything modern dating and relationships. Welcome to the Dateable Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another week and another episode of Dateable. We go deep into dating and dating questions and everything related to relationships and human connection. We were actually just before we pressed record, we were just talking about how this is beyond dating. Yes, dating Mm -hmm. is interesting when we talk about it, but at the core of the topic is human connection. Yeah. How can we be better humans to each other? Such a big question. How can (laughs) we be better humans to each other? I still remember this one review we got when we first started. This was a long time ago. That was like, thank you for helping me not be a trash human being. Do you remember that? Yes. That one stayed with me. And I'm like, yeah, the core of it, that's what it comes down to. It's true. And so much of dating is like me against you and trying to guess what the other person's thinking. But we're all having such a human experience together. And if we can just bring it 
to the human level. Yes. Wouldn't we all just get along so much better? I mean, I think that's what's been humbling for me when I'm in relationships, because I think when you're dating, you don't know the people you're dating well, right? You just assume that, you know, if they don't text you back, they don't like you. It's all about you. That's the only focus you're looking at. Mm -hmm. But when you start to go deeper with people, you're like, oh, yeah, they have their own shit. They have their own stuff going on. Like, actually, that was so eye-opening for me when we first started Dateable. So I remember I was, like, in it with my ex and, like, going through it. And I just remember being, like, all the stuff I thought for years, how it all centered around me, it was missing that lens. Yes, yes. Um, I was talking to someone yesterday it, this is not in the context of dating but i thought it was related is that someone sent him an email that he interpreted in a way that was really offensive mm-hmm. and he read the email out loud to me in a tone that he <laughs> thought this person wrote it in and i read it in a totally different tone which i thought was actually yeah. quite, quite empathetic and warm so in dating too we do the same thing we like color with our own lens like color in the lines when we don't actually go pursue what that color is and we hope that with the show we can spend more time communicating and understanding each other than trying to guess and like color in the lines because we ultimately like that that's not what we're trying to do here like as humans we're not trying to guess or project ourselves onto other people. In this episode that we have today, I feel like is the perfect one for this because we talk, we have Dr. Alexandra Solomon back. She's a crowd favorite. It's our third time having her. Mm -hmm. Most frequent guest award she wins most dateable guest (laughs) that's what you win if you've been on a lot but we (laughs) love her like we found her a long time ago because she's a professor at northwestern and teaches the course marriage 101 Mm -hmm. and what was it that you were supposed to be on like a radio show with her and then like they just like didn't show up wasn't it like something (gasps) like that Oh, I think that's what it was. And the way they introduced her was, yes, she teaches this course that's constantly waitlisted by people of all ages. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. I remember like the show just like never happened. And you were like, well, the silver lining is I found a good guest for us to have on. That's You have such a good memory. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. I just remember you were like waiting. Like they didn't even like tell you it was canceled, which also happened to us another time too. Just really messed up. (sighs) Remember that? We're fucked up. <laughs> Talk about being a decent yeah, human. Exactly. Being. Like, we're like to everything. sitting there for like 30 minutes and we're like, so is this happening or not? No one told us. Yeah. No one said anything. And then <laughs> 24 hours later, they I think they emailed us and were like, we're gonna try this again today. We're like, fuck you. Yeah, we're like, we're not. But anyways, we found Dr. Alexandra Sullivan, so it all worked, all worked out. But we talk about a topic that she refers to as a pace discrepancy when you're Mm -hmm. not on the same page 100% with your partner about the next stage of your relationship. That could be DTR, defining it, being exclusive all the way to moving in together, getting engaged, like having kids. Like there's always different aspects of relationships that we're not always 100% aligned with Mm -hmm. our partners. And it comes back to like, the humanity of looking at this person as a person and what is going on for them because we make so many assumptions in dating and I've a hundred percent been guilty of this of like if they're not exactly on the same page I don't want to waste my time I don't want to like set myself up for failure so I'm just gonna like move on but that is not looking at the full picture that there's another human being with their own set of, you know, the background, values, life experiences, all the stuff that's coming to the table. 
This topic is so multifaceted because I don't understand why a pace discrepancy is so highlighted in a relationship, in a dating context, when if you zoom out for a minute, we experience pace discrepancy every moment, every day in our lives. Like my dog is ready to go for a walk right now. I'm not ready to go for a walk with him. My parents are ready for me to have a kid. I'm not ready to have a kid. Like, you know, people at work, it's like they want the report Monday. I'm going to do it Friday. There's always going to be a pace discrepancy because we are only ourselves and we're not other people. So, of course, you're going to have a conflict when it comes to when you're ready for something. And in a relationship, somehow, like, it's detrimental almost, Mm. you know, especially in early dating. It's like, oh, they don't want to move the relationship forward. But I... I do. Are we not good for each other? We've been on two dates. Yeah. (laughs) And we're not we're not saying with this conversation, you'll obviously hear as we dive in, we're not saying to like wait around for someone and be a sitting duck and all that. Like that is not the message here. But it is to, you know, step back a little and dig deeper instead of just making rash decisions. Because I think for me, like, I definitely did that in my dating life a lot. And I probably like cut things off too soon. Or Mm -hmm. on the flip side, didn't have enough of a stance and waited too long. So it's like finding that balance is really important. And hopefully this episode will give more insight into that. It helped me a lot in my Peace discrepancy that I went through. And it will help you all too. <laughs> I can promise you. It'll, I wish I had this conversation earlier in my previous relationship, but it's so good to know and like have these skills in the back of your head for future relationships because you're bound to run into this. Mm-hmm. Even if you are completely aligned in the beginning of a relationship, at some point there's going to be a pace discrepancy. Yep. Somewhere. So this is a little bit of a pivot, but I can bring it back to pace discrepancy. (laughs) I've been thinking about this. So I took my first self-driving car the other day Mm -hmm. and it was so cool. So cool. I'm a huge proponent of them. I know people have mixed opinions, but I think it's really cool that our technology is advancing this fast. Mm-hmm. Pace discrepancy. Why mm-hmm. can this technology advance so quickly, yet we're still looking at like two-dimensional photos on dating apps and they've been doing the same thing for, mm. what, 20 years now? Like it's something crazy that the technology is like shifted a little, but not close to the acceleration that other areas have had. Well, I think what it is, is that as humans, we're always seeking consistency. We want to know what to expect. And the unexpected is too scary. It's risky. Mm. Even the conversation we had earlier today, I was like, I preferred wired technology, <laughs> wired headsets, wired mouse, because I can expect it to work. Yeah. But as soon as the wire is gone, I don't know. Like it works 80% of the time. Same with self-driving cars. It's like, I think that's awesome. But I can't expect the same level of delivery every time I ride in a self-driving car. But if you're driving yourself, you know you can control the factors. So I think that's why like dating hasn't really caught up in modern technology. It's like, we just want consistency. We want to know what we're expecting. I mean, maybe that really comes down to why pace discrepancies in relationships are so uncomfortable too, because we Mm. want to know what's next at all times. And having that space where it might feel a little unsure is very uncomfortable. Yes. Yes. You want like, you want a little bit of tetheredness. <laughs> like, you know, you want to know that when you turn on something, it works. And so in a relationship, you want to know that when that next step is like mm-hmm. something you 
you can expect. But I think that's the number one cause of conflict in relationships is yeah. the uncertainty. But that's why communication is so important is like we are com- at least communicating out the uncertainties and keeping each other updated. So the other thing with self-driving cars, we can move on after, but have you seen like all the articles about just like how like sex in self-driving cars are like through the roof? Like everyone's what? like hooking up in self-driving cars. And it makes sense, right? Because there's no driver. But some of them are so funny. I need to read you this one headline. I mean, there's a lot of articles where this is popping up, but Fox News, of course, they always take it one step further. I mean, some of them are like, people are having sex in self-driving cars is apparently mashable. And then there is the Fox News one. Sex in San Francisco robo-taxis is running rampant, report finds. <laughs> so like extreme, right? There was like someone quoted in the article that he had sexual encounters with six different people. <gasps> he takes different dates in these <laughs> self-driving cars. Not at the same time, but just over time. Did you have sex in your way? No, I did not. <laughs> We're both like, this is cool. So, so PG. (laughs) I mean, I think if you're like going from San Francisco to the East Bay, maybe there's like idle time that you can kill with a little sexy time. I feel like sex could range though too. Like I think the guy that said he had six sexual encounters, some of them were makeouts. Some of them were like- Oh, I see, I see. Under the pants stuff. But there was something- Dude, I'm not ashamed to admit I gave my partner a blowjob in an Uber once and like, <laughs> thinking thinking that, you know, the driver can't see because we're in the backseat. But then if you think about it, he can he absolutely see. <laughs> see, this We is... were trying to be so discreet. What but were like, you, how are you discreet with that? You're just like, oh, you I can't, can't find my cell phone. <laughs> I feel like you could be discreet on other things like, you know, hand stuff. You could be discreet on that yeah i feel like a blowjob is pretty impossible (laughs) to be discreet but had you been in a self-driving car there would be no driver to judge you yeah i mean i can see why but i I guess part of the thrill was there was someone else in the car (laughs) that could possibly you know there's someone monitoring the self-driving car so while they might mm -hmm. not physically be there there's someone that's looking at the computer yeah yeah okay yes (laughs) that makes a lot of sense like you're still being monitored maybe that's kind of hot to think about too but I just remember I was like drunk and I don't know what we're thinking we're like no it's fine he won't see and it was a sedan it wasn't even like a big SUV and then later I was driving my car and I was trying to see if I would be able to oh my god (laughs) see someone in the back and I'm like of course you can see There's no hiding it. I love how we went from like a very academic professional to <laughs> self-driving car sex. That is the beauty of dateable. We take it. We're versatile. <laughs> yeah. We're, yeah. We can go deep and we can go deep in another way. So you're welcome. You're We're welcome. wide ranging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why you love listening to it. You never know what you're going to get, know. right? <laughs> that element of surprise that may be scary as we yeah, were just talking about. Yeah, surprise and delight all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Pace discrepancy to blowjobs in a car, in an Uber. So yeah, take that to your friends. <laughs> okay, well... 
There's so much good to dive into in this episode. But before we do, a few announcements. At Datable Podcast, that's where you find us. Also, leave a review. We're getting close to our 1K goal on Apple. We're still like 200 away, though. So we need your help. <laughs> so it's not <laughs> that close, close. But not that close. But we know there's like way more of you, the 200 out there. So yeah. if you just rally behind it, we can get there. That is the only gift we ask of you for the holidays. Yeah, other announcements. You can find us on Facebook and our Facebook group. Love to connect to all of our listeners there as well. Okay, well, before we go into it, let's hear a message from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. My healing journey has had a lot of ups and downs the last few months, and there were moments where I felt stuck. For example, I knew it would be good for me to socialize and meet new people, but something was getting in my way. Therapy helped me figure out what was holding me back so I can work for myself, not against myself. Through talking to a licensed therapist, I was able to understand my fears, especially around trust in people. My therapist validated my feelings, but also helped me figure out a plan to get back into the social scene. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com dateable today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATEABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to ViaHemp.com and use the code DATEABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's ViaHemp.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from ViaHemp. Okay, let's hear it from Dr. Alexandra Solomon. We were just saying you deserve an award, Dr. Alexandra Solomon, for being our most frequented guest on our podcast. Wow. Third time now. Your trophies in the mail, your jerseys in the mail, <laughs> all of that. All the prizes are in the mail, but you deserve some sort of virtual badge. Thank you for coming back for the third time. <laughs> but today we want to talk about pace discrepancy, something that's near and dear to both Julie and I who've experienced this mm -hmm. from multiple angles. But first, 
For anyone who doesn't know who Dr. Alexandra Solomon is, she's a licensed clinical psychologist and faculty member at Northwestern University, which is how we first found her. She teaches the internationally renowned course, Building Love and Lasting Relationships, Marriage 101. She's the best-selling author of Loving Bravely and Taking Sexy Back, and her latest book, Love Every Day, just came out in October. She's also the host of the hit podcast, Reimagining Love, where we'll soon be guests on, apparently. <laughs> and also, she lives in Chicago. She's in her 50s. She's married and recently an empty nester, as we just <laughs> found out. This idea of pace discrepancy, where both partners are not on the same page when it comes to timelines as the relationship progresses or not. I know, Julie, this is something that's very recent for you. Mm. So let's start with how Dr. Alexandra has really helped you through this. Yeah. I mean, I obviously knew Dr. Alexandra Solomon from this podcast, but when I was in the thick of this situation, when I was a little more ready than my partner, we we're both on the same page of where we wanted to go, but I was a little faster in wanting to get there. I actually found your podcast, well, a specific episode on what you call pace discrepancy. And I love the way you frame that too, because I think like so often we run to to like, oh, like, are they just not going to be the partner for me? Are they not into me? Like, there's something wrong if I'm too fast. There's something wrong if I'm too slow. And you really helped like normalize this. How did you kind of get there? Like, what made you call it this and like even have an interest in this topic in the first place? I'm really glad that we're talking about pace discrepancies today because I think that it's one of the most important podcast episodes that we've done so far mm -hmm. for exactly the reason that you're outlining, Julie, is first of all, it's incredibly common. The chances that two people are going to arrive at the next commitment milestone at the exact same moment are slim to none. Mm -hmm. Depending on the milestone, one partner may be the accelerator, one partner may be the brake, but it's not too hard to figure out which one has their foot on the accelerator and which one has their foot on the brake. And there's pain in both of those positionalities. Neither position mm -hmm. is particularly easy. So even just in the framing of calling it a pace discrepancy, mm -hmm. in doing that, I really wanted to move people out of the stance that it's so easy to slip into, which is either blame or shame. Something's wrong with you mm. because you're so eager to move in together or something is wrong with you because you don't want to move in together or you aren't ready yet to move in together. And we now, I think we are living and loving in an interesting time where we have a lot of vocabulary available to us. So now we can get into things yes. like you have avoidant attachment disorder, you have an anxious attachment disorder, you have a this, you have a this. And so it's very easy to get into these kind of individual pathologizing stances, <laughs> frankly. And so by calling it a pace discrepancy, what I'm doing is I'm saying this is a couple problem. It's a relationship mm -hmm. problem. And that involves invites a couple right away into a really different stance vis-a-vis -vis what's happening. And I think that's really what you're speaking to is that was one of the things that you and your partner found helpful is that yes. you ended the struggle of trying to figure out who was causing the problem. Exactly. It takes the ego out of it because I <sighs> think when it comes to old school thinking of pace discrepancy, it's like the person who's moving faster must like the other person more. Right. You know, they must be more in love. And that's mm -hmm. not really the case. What you're saying here is just it's natural for two different people to be on two different timelines. But how do you know that it's truly a pace discrepancy issue versus you two just not being on the same page? Right. 
I would not want to take that hypothesis off the table, right? There probably are timelines where the gap is just too far mm-hmm. or issues where one really does not want what the other one wants, right? I don't ever want to have a baby. I don't, you know, I think there are times when couples have different long-term goals or different time horizons. They require too much compromise. Mm-hmm. They require too much abandonment of self in a mm-hmm. way that's going to fuel resentment, right? Each partner is likely better suited with somebody who shares a similar alignment. But I'm curious, Julie, for you, how you and your partner tease that apart. Are we just different paces or do we have different goals? I mean, I would say it wasn't like a totally easy process. It wasn't so black and white that we knew 100%. I think ultimately we at least knew that we wanted to get to the same place. Like we both wanted marriage, for instance. We wanted these next steps. It was more like, I think if someone was like, I outright don't want this, would be a little more clear. That being said, like the question came up a lot for like, I think this is the problem with when there's a pace discrepancy. I just feel like when I thought about relationships, like when I got into one, everything would magically just work out. Like we would move (laughs) to the next step. Like all my problems would be solved. Uh Like the issue is getting into a relationship. That was like what I thought. So there was definitely a lot that I took very personally. So it it went to, do they just not want to be with me? Like I know this person Mm -hmm. wants to get married, but is it that they don't want to with me? And I Mm -hmm. think I learned, I mean, we ended up doing couples therapy and I want to get your take Mm -hmm. on that too of like, are there ways to solve this on your own? There had to be a leap of faith for both of us a little too. And eventually like we got to that place and I think I could see the progress being made in terms and we broke down a lot too of like what it was that was the true issue. Yeah. So often couples get locked into a pretty simplistic formulation of you're putting too much pressure on me. Well, you're commitment phobic. You know, I think they get that kind of like very simplistic storyline. And what's so important is to get underneath it. And for the person who has their foot on the accelerator, who's more ready for the next step, for that person to really identify the fears, I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes Mm -hmm. when the person with the foot on the accelerator is a woman or somebody who's been socialized in the feminine or somebody Mm -hmm. with, frankly, with a uterus, part of the fear is... I'm wasting my time yes. that I have a, you know, I fun. don't have <laughs> limitless. Yeah, sure. Time. And so and if having biological children is a goal, I think just in general, there is for women a fear of wasting time, of being strung along. And so I think kind of naming some of those fears. And for you, it sounds like it was also a fear of I can't tell if you aren't ready for the step or if you aren't sure about me. And so there's that deep vulnerability around how personally to take Mm -hmm. this. And then on the other side, for the person with their foot on the brake, again, eliciting a deeper conversation about those fears. And very often, especially if the person with their foot on the brake is a man or somebody who's been socialized in the masculine, very often Mm -hmm. it's a story that he has internalized about, I can't take on this commitment. I can't become responsible for you as if that's even what she's asking for until I've reached this point in my career or this financial milestone. So there often are things that are about self, self self-concept, self in the world that really have little to nothing to do with their partner. They have an impact on the partner, but they say a lot about how I feel about myself in the world. And those are stories that oftentimes have begun long before the relationship or exist sort of separate and apart from the relationship. 
Well, I think that's what really came to light is like so much mm. of it was carried from our own, even like the taking it personally. There were times the therapist was yeah. like, I'm not hearing what you're hearing. <laughs> like you're, you know, yeah. internalizing yeah. this. And I think there's a lot of that, especially if you've been dating for a while, you've had the relationships that don't work out. It's easy to go there again. Like, oh, this is happening again. Sure. So I think there is a lot of that piece. Like, I guess a question for you is like, do you think that in like the real early stages, Let's say like we're starting to date. One person doesn't want to define the relationship yet. Like they're not ready. Mm -hmm. Do you think a pace discrepancy can even happen then? Or is this something mm -hmm. more that's like later on when things get more serious? For sure. I think that's actually quite a common time for a pace discrepancy to occur. I think that we probably have some amount of individual difference between mm -hmm. each and every one of us around how much ambiguity we can tolerate. You know, some of us mm -hmm. need to like know by 11 a.m. what we're having for dinner, you know, and others of us are like, I don't know, I'll figure it out as I go along. So I think there's some like sort of preset level of how much ambiguity one can tolerate. And so I think that that's part of what dictates the point at which I need to understand what you and I are doing versus the point at which you need to understand what you and I are doing. And I may be really comfortable hanging out in the gray because I'm just not that troubled by it. Like mm. I feel pretty mm. sure I'm going to see you. I feel pretty sure I like you. I feel pretty sure you're like me. So I don't need a lot of conversation because I'm not that troubled by it. Where for somebody else, if they have a high value on a need for clarity from wherever in their life story that need comes, to tolerate ambiguity is to abandon oneself. That's what it feels like, right? It feels like if I'm just hanging out in this middle, uh -huh. although it feels quite personal, I think there's even at that early stage of defining the relationship, I think that people have different needs for yeah. clarity and getting explicit. Tell me what you guys think though about that. I agree with you. I think it's hard though, because like I'm just even thinking about my situation. We had, you know, years up to this, like time that we really got to know each other. I think if you've only been on like a couple dates with someone or like a month in, you're not going to be going to couples therapy and like working nope. it out. And I feel like people are just making the assumption like, oh, this person wasn't that into me. If they wanted to, they would. Like all those like buzzwords mm -hmm. of just they're going to step up where we don't know their backgrounds. We don't know their past relationship history or the way they were raised or anything about them. So I think that's why so many early stage connections just die out because like we don't actually like yes. have these conversations because it feels easier just to leave at that point. Yeah, the vulnerability. I think the internal struggle I have in early dating is that instead of addressing it with the person I'm dating, I'm addressing it internally. Like, why can't I be okay in the gray area? Why can't I be okay with ambiguity? Why do I need to move things so fast? I'm constantly trying to like figure out a way to redefine my own needs. Yeah. But what I'm hearing from you is that's really sacrificing myself in order to morph myself into whatever the situationship is. But it's better to just address it with the person I'm dating, even if it's just early dating? I think so. Because to raise the conversation is not to apply a full force pressure campaign. Right. I think that's mm. where people get tripped up, right? It's like, if I ask you for a check-in about how you're feeling about this, or could we make some space to talk about how we're each feeling about this, that feels tantamount to saying, you know, gun to your head, am I <laughs> the one or not the one? That's not the same thing. There's a world of difference between asking a question that's a check-in and applying a pressure campaign. But I think maybe we don't trust ourselves because we feel so anxious in the inside. And mm -hmm. I think that we don't trust that the other person's going to hear it that way. And of course, we can never be in charge of how somebody 
hear something, right? The best we can do is to kind of regulate ourselves, trust ourselves, Mm -hmm. be as open and curious to, you know, asking open-ended questions. And then Mm -hmm. really like it's the other person's job to hear the words that we're saying, not fill in all the spaces with their assumptions and their fears. I mean, right, Julie, it's why your point about like, it sure would be better to just there with a couple's therapist in the room because couple's therapist helps you right. translate. But yeah, you probably aren't going <laughs> to go to couple's therapy on date three. Yeah. Like I love the check-in and yeah. your check-in that you talked about, I actually referenced this on a recent episode as well, mm-hmm. like that we were doing that even before couples therapy is just a way to just, you know, the one about like what's going well, what's not, what's a relational growing edge, what's a hot damn, yeah. love that. And then mm-hmm. like the intention, but I feel like in early stage dating, I would never do that. Even honestly, I'll be completely yeah. honest. I would be, before I got into a serious relationship and before I like was in embedded in this community of like really digging into relationships. I always was like, why do people need check-ins? That seems not necessary. Uh-huh. And now I get it. But like as an early stage dater, how would you actually like, approach that convo if yeah. it's not like a check-in? Like how would you be, are we on the same page? Like where are we? Like how do you have that convo? Yeah. Not so formal. Yeah. Yui, I'm curious your thoughts on this one too. But I agree that the not so formal, like it doesn't need to be like, I have something very important to (laughs) ask you. (laughs) I love the idea. I'm so into conversations happening while bodies are moving, Mm. like while we're on a walk, while we're on a hike. There's something that Mm. is so permission giving. Like, first of all, we're not staring each other down. We're kind of Mm -hmm. side by side. You know, we're moving in the same direction. We're looking at sort of similar things. Our bodies are moving, so it's like the opposite of feeling kind of stuck and heavy, like we're moving. So I like that idea. And I like the idea of starting with a little baby vulnerable disclosure. Like, I have so much fun with you. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed these like last few weeks together. I've enjoyed the time we're spending together. I would love to just hear how you're doing, how you're feeling about this. Would that send you to the hills? Is that too much? Does that feel no, too formal? That sounds lovely. But if I'm asking that question deep down inside, I'm a ball of anxiety (laughs) trying to express myself. What I'm really trying to say is I want to move this forward. I want to DTR or I want this to be monogamous, whatever that next stage is, but I'm couching it in a much more casual conversation. So how do I do this in a casual way, but also (laughs) express my needs at the same time? You're proposing something, right? Yes. You're putting a proposal out there. You're saying, I want to let you know this is something that I'm ready for or Mm -hmm. curious about. And I wanted to see where you're at with it. If the response that you got back was, I hope that any response you get back is compassionate because I would want somebody to be really compassionate with you for Mm -hmm. the kind of courage it takes to bring this up, Mm -hmm. right? So even if that person isn't ready, I would hope that they would be kind enough and compassionate enough to be like, I'm so glad you're bringing this up. Like, what a compliment to me that somehow you feel safe enough with me to bring something up like this actually is such a deep sign of respect that you must feel some measure of safety with me that you can bring up a conversation like this. So I would hope that even if that person isn't ready for monogamy or isn't ready to define the relationship, I would hope they could at least see and have respect for the courage that you have in bringing it up. That their response then, I could imagine that a compassionate response, even if it includes the answer you don't want, which is like, I still don't feel quite ready, that at least the compassionate response 
response or like the process of how the conversation goes maybe helps soften the disappointment, you know? Yeah, I think for me, like I wouldn't have a problem telling someone where I was at or even like I love the we've talked about this before too, like the ease in of just I'm having a really great time with you. Like, how is that going to be taken bad? Like, that's a great way to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. The problem Mm -hmm. for me would be like if the person didn't give me a yes or no. Like, I think it goes back to this, like, Mm. ambiguity and being comfortable there. If they were like, I really am enjoying my time with you, but I'm not ready quite yet. Like, I feel like I need more time or whatever they say, or eventually I want to get there, but I'm not there yet. How do you handle that? Like, how do you know how much time to give the person? And this is something that I think goes for all stages of a relationship, not just the early ones. It's something I struggle with, too. It's like, there has to be a time limit eventually you're not going to wait forever but how do you do that in a way that's not like an ultimatum or you're not like throwing the towel too soon and letting the person like get there first of all i think that would be disappointing to hear back right and there's no way i mean i think in our example with ua ua would go from being the bundle of anxiety (laughs) to feeling pretty disappointed you know because that wouldn't be that wouldn't be what she would want to be hearing back And so this may take a couple of conversations, right? Like that might be like the outer edge of how much UA can like tolerate in that conversation. So she might kind of like step back or shut down a little bit or say like, okay, let's maybe pick this up again because I, you know, I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed. But then in the next conversation, I wonder about talking about like, what would we each be doing and feeling that would indicate to you that you are ready? Like sort of painting a picture of what are your markers either inside of yourself or in our relationship that tell you that you are ready for something like that. Because we may not have the same markers, but it would be really helpful for me to know. Not so that I can like magically transform myself into somebody who pleases you, not about that, but just about like, what's your vision of what that process looks like for you? I like that. Basically set me up for success here. We'll set each other up for success. Yeah. And we can kind of, without guessing, really understand each other. It's a getting to know each other process. So I really like that. I'm putting myself in this person's shoes, (laughs) being disappointed, but asking this question, kind of like, how can we work towards that together? Yeah. I've been in relationships where I feel like we overworked it. Yeah. <laughs> we worked on it so much that the romance was gone. It was purely just about working on the relationship. How do you strike the balance of we're working towards a goal, uh-huh. but also keeping this as a romantic, fun relationship? Right. Because so much of this, like, I think, you know, right now we're kind of doing like a tap down, like, creating the vision for what this would look like. But what you're reminding us, Yue, is there's also like a bottom up. Like part of how you get ready for commitment is you just build a steady cushion Mm -hmm. of repeated, fun, positive, pleasurable experiences together. Mm -hmm. So you're right that a couple can top down their way into something that feels like really oppressive and tight and heavy. And they need to balance that against like a little bit of conversation or check-in and then more experience together. And there's a way in which if that's what somebody needs, if I'm slow to warm up because I have a trauma history or my last partner cheated on me, or that's just how God made me is I'm just a little, like I don't open up super easily, then more talking about it isn't going to be helpful. What's going to help me is there's this like X axis of time that Mm. I just need, that I can't make that timeline go faster because I just need to have repeated experiences of feeling safe in your presence, of having my body feel Mm. relaxed near your body. Like I'm just going to need 
more of those experiences than perhaps you do because you are a more trusting soul. You don't have quite the same painful history that I have, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that that's a really good point though around like some of this, you can't talk your way into a faster timeline if what somebody needs is just a bit more experience. Yeah. I mean, even like when we were going through this, like there was a time box that we put it aside, like from the therapist, Mm -hmm. because like, I think for that reason, like if you're just talking about the same thing every week, it's hard to like feel the joys of a relationship. That being said, it was very difficult. If you're the one that wants something, it's really hard to be like, we're just going to forget about this and just live life and pretend like it's not an issue. So how do you balance (laughs) the two? And like, how do you work through this if let's say a therapist isn't in your routine or you just feel like for whatever reason, it doesn't feel right for you. I think putting it in a box is a really good idea. And there's a question that I love that I'm sure I talked about in the pace discrepancy episode. And the question is, what can the two of us do to protect the rest of what's great about this relationship Mm -hmm. from the strain of this pace discrepancy? Mm-hmm. I love that question yeah. because in asking, in posing the question, you are reminding yourself and your partner that you are more than this one yes. problem that you're dealing with. I use a question like mm-hmm. that all the time with my couples. What can the two of you do to protect the rest of your relationship from even the impact of this infidelity? When a couple is trying to recover from infidelity, we sit with that question because it's like there is actually more to you than the infidelity that you are trying to repair from. There is more to your story than that. So I think that a couple with a pace discrepancy, you're right. The more, you know, what we focus on tends to grow. Mm -hmm. And so the more we talk about this pace discrepancy, like now it has a capital P (laughs) and a capital D and it takes up all of the space and we're watching our clocks and, you know, I'm looking at you. Are you ready? And you're looking at me like, are you chilling out yet? And (laughs) that just becomes, it's you know, like, it's just, it's like no one's having fun anymore. So I like that question of like, if we're going to take it off the table for a time, first of all, agreeing when we are going to put it back on the table. So knowing that there's a check-in I think is really helpful, especially for the accelerator partner. And then because, you know, as Aristotle says, nature abhors a vacuum, like filling in that time. What are we filling in with? Well, we're filling in with this dance class that we love and we're filling in with this trip we're planning to London and we're filling in with going to the gym together. Like we're filling in with this cooking experience. Like we're filling in with other kinds of stuff. Oh, such a good point. Yeah, I think it can't be forgotten forever. I think that's the real key is like we can't just sweep it under the table. I guess like when you have that date, because this came up for me too, it's like when you have that date, how does it not feel like an ultimatum at that (laughs) point? Because like that wasn't really, that wasn't my intention. It was more though of this need for protecting yourself and not even protecting yourself, but just owning like and honoring what you want in life like what I wanted in life was a partner that would move forward with me so like how do you decouple those two because ultimatum gets such a bad rap ultimatum gets a really bad rap and it's there's pressure you know built into that I think what's helpful is when a couple decides together we're going to revisit this in three months then it's not an ultimatum it's an agreement Mm -hmm. because Mm. if I'm the one with my foot on the brake can I be humble enough to say that actually it's not fair of me to hold you back? Mm-hmm. I appreciate you're giving me three months yeah. to see if this can loosen, to see if I can get some more clarity inside of me. Like how generous 
of you to give me that time. And just the same way I don't want to be strong-armed into deeper commitment, it's not fair of me to hold you back from something that you have said is really important. So I think there's something about framing it as an agreement Mm -hmm. that we both agree it's a problem. And I mean, I think a general principle in intimate relationships is if something is a problem for one person, it's a problem for both people. You know, Mm -hmm. I think somebody who rolls their eyes and is like, this is not a problem. That person is not a great candidate to be your partner, right? right? Who just like dismisses your concern flat out, then you probably are abandoning yourself by waiting around. But we're assuming in this example that the person is saying, I get it. I'm not going to feel like shit about myself for not being as ready as you are. I'm not going to become ashamed of myself, but I'm also not going to shame you for being ready. You're not a fool for being ready and I'm not a dick for not being ready. Right. So that agreement is like, let's agree together. We'll put it away for three months and then come back to it. And that becomes a check-in. Let's hold that thought for a quick message. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast exit interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey. And yet we rate everything in our lives from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to exit interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. Wait, wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the walls. And feedback that will make you swoon. When she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? And maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This really reveals someone's character too, just how they even deal with this being an issue. It's not even about the pace discrepancy. It's how you are facing this conflict. Yeah. What about a scenario which has happened to a few of my friends? And I think, Julie, for you a little bit as well, is like when the pace discrepancy changes. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, they're on the same page and all of a sudden there's a shift. I have a couple friends, they're married. They both want to have kids within two years of getting married and As soon as I got married, the wife was like, I need more time. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have kids for at least five years. And the husband is now freaking out because he's like, well, the reason why we were doing this is like we were on the same page. As a person who is on the receiving end of your partner changing their pace, what's the best way to deal with that? What I would hope in that situation is that the wife can make an apology. Mm. And the apology isn't, I suck, (laughs) I'm terrible, but the apology is a recognition We agreed to something and now I don't feel the same way again. I'm sorry. That must Mm. feel confusing to you. That must feel frightening to you. That must feel frustrating to you, right? And that apology isn't I'm terrible, but the apology is I'm sorry that I had said one thing and now that we're here, it's changing for me. And Mm. so then to like supercharge that apology, it also would be let's talk about how to protect the relationship from the hurt of this, that's a really different way in than a wife who says, it's not a big deal. You're overreacting. What's the difference between two years and five years? You shouldn't be ready anyways. We don't have the money anyways. Like that sort of standing on ceremonies, like getting a little bit kind of grandiose of like, I know best, I know better what we need than you do. Anything like that is going to just 
increase the space. And one of the key skills for a healthy relationship is to know how to apologize and and to know that an apology doesn't mean I'm a terrible person, but an apology means I get it. I see what you see. I was in that conversation. I know we said two years and now I'm saying five years. And so I apologize and let's figure out how to kind of like move through this. I think that's one of the key pieces, but tell me what you think. No, I 100% agree. And I think that's like how, like you asked earlier, like, how did you know, like, if you should keep holding on to this? I think the way someone reacts is so telling. That being said, though, not everyone has the relational skills. We we know that most people do not have those (laughs) relational skills, even if they like are a good person and they want to say that. That's not always what comes out. And I mean, I'm 100% for couples therapy. Like I know we talked about ways you can deal with this if you're not doing couples therapy. But if you have the opportunity, feel compelled. I think it goes so much under the surface and teaches you this type of thing too. Like how can you start to build these relational skills, even, you know, when it's not an issue, but let's say when there is this time of pace discrepancy that you're confronted with. You know, it matters. Like, let's say with this couple, if her response is that really invalidating response, like he might be able to kind of grit his teeth and wait five years to have a baby, but he will not forget that. No. He really won't. And I'm sitting with couples, I had a couple sessions this week where in the session, you know, one is bringing up pain from 25 years ago, right? Because it wasn't addressed. It was papered over. You know, people didn't handle those moments of mismatch and maybe you can get through it and you can stay married. But if the pain doesn't go away, if you haven't really said, I can see how my behavior hurt you. It makes sense from your, maybe I wouldn't even feel that way if I was in the spot that you're in. But what you're telling me is that you are hurt and therefore we got to figure out how to tend to your hurt because the last thing you want is for it to go underground and just build a bunch of more years of stuff on top of it. I think, Julie, that these relationship skills, I mean, I it's why I love teaching college students because then, you know, you've got a chance like 21, 22 to learn some of this stuff. But yeah. it's why I'll never not be busy, right? Like my yeah. pot, I'll have another podcast episode out, you know, next week and the week after because it is, it's a lifetime. I mean, I feel fully confident that without the help of my own therapist, a number of couples therapists over the years, there's no way my husband and I would have celebrated our 25-year anniversary a few yeah. weeks ago. There's just no way. I come from a family of divorce, a really complicated blended family. Like I came in with a lot of baggage that I didn't ask for, but I had to take responsibility for. I had to tool myself and learn how to do it because that woman in that example, I can easily come up with the diminishing, dismissing response because I know, I know that response. I've been (laughs) that response, you know, where I don't want to feel bad. So I'll make you feel crazy for wanting that thing, you know, like that Mm -hmm. stuff happens so quickly. And I think the ladies are just as good at it as the men are, you know, no discrimination on that one. (laughs) (laughs) No discrimination when it comes to invalidating somebody else's perspective to suit our own needs. (laughs) That's such a good point. I think sometimes we have to take a step back and say, am I in the wrong here? Like, do I need to take some responsibility here? Because so much of what we learn in all the episodes we've done and all the experts we've spoken to, it's about compromise and coming to a middle ground and not sacrificing your needs. But when you do need to take (laughs) accountability for your (laughs) actions, that needs to be the step before you start talking about what that work is and what that compromise looks like. So thank you for that reminder. It's important to hear. Yeah, there's a lot of therapists and coaches getting a lot of views on TikTok by, you know, telling people like, you deserve this and you should this. And if they won't, then you got it. And if they want to, they, you know, and there's, I think, fewer, it's less kind of catchy and juicy 
to be asking people to hold up a mirror and look at the ways that they are asking for what they want and what they need, right? Because it's vulnerable to be Mm -hmm. inviting and to be curious and to be patient. I think we have a lot of, you know, we sort of like overplay this idea of you should just ask for what you want and no apologies and da 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 da, you know, and just stand up for yourself. Okay. And sometimes those responses can shut somebody else down and can keep a conversation from happening, a dialogue from happening. And it it is hard to regulate and keep yourself calm when somebody else is describing their experience and it is different from your own, or it's not quite the thing that you want. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying it's easy, but it's really important. I think one of the things for me that was, I actually am glad we had a pace discrepancy. I know it's easier to say that now because it worked out, but I think for me, I was so like, I've been waiting forever to meet this person. And like, when I met my partner, I'm like, this is going to be who I end up with. So I wanted everything to move really fast. And, you know, the reality was like, we actually ended up moving in together on our two year anniversary. So it wasn't like it was like 10 years went by and we've Mm -hmm. had this major pace discrepancy. I think I got in a lot of stories in my head of like, well, I'm getting older and we should know what we want more. Mm -hmm. So like a year goes by, let's move in together the next year, let's get engaged. But the reality was like, we didn't fully know each other even like, even though we were spending all this time together and we clearly knew each other. We didn't know like a lot of the core stuff that you were talking about of like, Mm. you know, where some of the stuff was stemming from and like things that we brought to the table, like from our own past experiences. And by doing this in couples therapy, I think it taught us, you know, a lot about each other and just understanding each other better, taking it less personally. And then also like how to deal with like voice concerns and not be like relationship ending in any way. Like I think I maybe over like corrected so much that I was like voicing everything. And, you know, there were certain things that like were blind spots for both of us. So how else do you think like having a pace discrepancy can actually set you up better in the long term? There's so much maturity and self-awareness in you seeing it that way. And it really feels, I mean, I feel how genuine that is for you, that having this problem, even though you wouldn't wish for this problem, (laughs) you weren't like Susie Sunshine, so glad you were having this problem, but- navigating the problem as a couple taught you a lot about yourself. It taught him about himself and taught each of you about each other in ways that you wouldn't have if you were just kind of gliding from transition to transition. And I think there's so much in life where it's like, you'd never wish for it, but it's teaching you something nonetheless. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that you're excited about the problem or the challenge. And I think especially for those who grew up in families divorced or who've gone through very painful breakups, I think being in the trenches with a partner and kind of getting through something is a really important, like what a therapist would call a corrective emotional experience. You know, it just kind of corrects that old story that we can't ever get upset because then the relationship will end or that kind of deep fear that we can't even look at a problem together because it's going to end us. And so I do think that there can be a hidden blessing in that. And I think the other thing is that, you know, you all will have down the road other variations on this theme where you yeah. want A and yeah. he wants B. And you'll be like, aha, this <laughs> reminds us of that time, you know, and what did we learn there? And sort of like leveraging those earlier experiences when you have a different variation on the same theme, because there's only so many themes right. in, you know, relationship problems. Yeah. Going back to this concept of time boxing the work, mm-hmm. I often hear this happened to my previous relationship too. Six months, six months, Julie's case, like six months, 
Do you think that's kind of the general guideline? Give six months to this problem? That's fascinating. I think when I was giving example, I said three. I would assume it probably has to do with like what stage you're in too. Like I feel like if you just started dating someone, you probably wouldn't give it like six months for them to come along. I don't know. I'm thinking about like how I would handle this as the couples therapist. And mm. I would have the three of us together, like pull out our calendars and mm. look at it together. And so mm. I would keep it contextualized, maybe based on like a milestone, like a trip that's coming up or an event mm. that's coming up. I think I probably would do it more like that. And I would also be really explicit that time itself is arbitrary yeah, <laughs> and that all we're doing is putting a pin there so that we can give the emotions some space to like marinate, but not endless space. So I think I would just, I would get really clear and almost like with a shoulder shrug say, how about six months? You know, to just sort of like put it out there. So I would want the partner with the foot on the brake to feel, does that number create some opening inside of your chest? Mm -hmm. And then I would want the person with their foot in the accelerator to say, does that number help you feel proud of your ability to be patient? You know, like sort of, it gives you space, but you kind of feel an outer edge to it and you get to really be filled with pride in the patients. I think that's what Mm -hmm. I would almost like from a body level Mm -hmm. up, like trying to feel, okay, so sit with this number, you know, and kind of feel into it. That's actually how our therapist did a hundred percent. It might've felt like six months, but actually I'm like thinking about it when we met them, it was like four months, but a lot of it was around conversations like that and around a two-year anniversary. So that was the milestone Um, again. Okay. So yeah, I think I a hundred percent agree. It's like, how do you find that balance of like, I remember the therapist being like, what is the point for you that you're going to get to and you're going to build like too much resentment to move forward with this too like as the Mm. person and like I do remember having those explicit combos you got to give it enough time for things to change right you can't be like in one month yeah we'll check in so I feel like there still needs to be like at least three months in there somewhere. <laughs> you may want some number. Okay. I no need less. a number. No less than three. <laughs> Clearly, you may stop living in the ambiguity. There, <laughs> there needs to be a season. You got to have a, the, the leaves have to change. So I feel like I talked about like how it actually was a good thing and it's strengthened, but that's coming from the perspective of it working out. What about for the people that it doesn't work out? You put in the time, you wait the three to six months, whatever that is, or (laughs) I don't want to say wait, but you're working through it in those three to six months. And then the person comes and says, I can't move forward. I don't want to do this. How can you take away learnings from that other than this was a waste of time? Because I don't believe it is, but I'm curious what you think. I would hope that the person who's coming back, who at the end of the time still isn't ready, I would hope that they would have something a little bit more interesting, thoughtful, and generous to share than, I don't know, still not ready. Isn't that weird? My feelings didn't change. You know what I mean? Mm. Like like that they would have something a little bit deeper to share and something about, here's what I propose next. You know, I'm not sure how this is going to land for you, but I'm doing a lot of thinking about it. And here's what's getting in my way still. And here's what I'm thinking there again. Like we're talking about how a lot of this stuff reveals someone's character. Yeah. I think that that would be if what they come back with is like the shoulder shrug and like, oh, still not ready. Weird, isn't it? <laughs> then that's, you know, I think that is definitely like data yeah. for the person. It may be that at the end of that time frame, the person with the foot on the accelerator, they may have come up with something 
different by then, right? They may have come up like another solution or another path forward might have emerged by then. Like the problem itself might look and feel different by the end of the time. So I think that there is this like faith walk or this like leap of faith that you don't actually know how the problem's going to look and feel at the end of the time. Yeah. And, but certainly that would be, I don't know how there's any way to get around the disappointment that would come if the mm-hmm. person with their foot on the brake is like, I still can't get there. I think it's knowing that you gave your all too. That's so important, like that you put it forward. And I think what you said about like hearing this person just be like, I'm not sure, like that tells you so much. And like that isn't probably the relationship you wanted. So at least you can like walk out knowing that you gave it a chance if like the person really can't yeah. move forward with it. That's right. That you were courageous. Yeah. There's courage in waiting. There's courage in sitting in the gray. Yep. And that that doesn't go away just because you didn't have the outcome mm-hmm. that you wanted. I would hope that if the person still doesn't feel ready, that they feel troubled yeah. by that. You know, Not that it means that they're a bad person, but there's something that feels sort of troubling about, I don't know enough how to drive my own ship in life. You know, I don't know how to get into the driver's seat of my own life. I don't know how to move towards the things that I want or move away from the things that I don't want. There's something about if somebody has that really passive shoulder shruggy, I just don't know that I would actually want them in individual therapy working on that. Because what was it in your life that taught you that you are that untrustworthy, that you don't get to declare and move towards things that feel good to you, that you somehow aren't worthy of being committed to or making a commitment to someone else. Like There's something about that kind of stuckness and passivity that warrants someone's deeper exploration because that feels like it's got roots that started long before they met their partner. This has been Mm -hmm. such a fascinating conversation. Just like one last question before we go into takeaways. Like if you have experienced this, work through it. Like, how do you not worry that this is going to happen again and like have the confidence that you can get through it? Because it's realistically, like you said, it's a good odds that you're going to not see eye to eye 100% throughout the course of your relationship. So I'm thinking about for you and your partner, if there's another time where you're a little more accelerator and your partner's a little more more break, like I would want your partner to be able to say like, oh, I am so grateful for Julie's clarity. Like Julie's clarity and her willingness Mm -hmm. to take the risk really does serve us because it keeps us from spinning our wheels and overanalyzing. And I would want you to be able to say to your partner like, you know what? Sometimes he is a total pain in my ass when he does this stuff. But there is, you know, I know that I'm sometimes a little bit impulsive yep. and eager and it's it's not bad to be slowed down yep. sometimes. So I think that that's, you know, like there's something about also when you have that tendency, really being able to remember that we are actually a stronger couple yeah. because we've got somebody who you know, looks before they leave. And because we've got somebody who knows that you cannot wait around for 100% certainty. So really like seeing that the two of you as a couple get to leverage this difference, even when it feels like a total pain in the ass sometimes. (laughs) It's such a good way to think about it. I mean, I think my biggest takeaway from all of this is that we just cannot have this like Disney definition of love or rom-com definition, like that you just like meet and it all works out. Like, and it's not (laughs) like, it's just the reality of two people coming together and like learning to have these relational skills, especially in early stage dating. Like we feel like, oh, it's too early to communicate. It's too 
too early to bring this up, but that's why so many things don't work out because we're not relating. We're just assuming and having these like preconceived notions of one side of the story without really knowing that other person. And how can we start to like look at the person in more of a humane way of like, this is what they're going through. They're not on the exact same page as me. I need to cut it off and move on. And I think in dating and even in relationships, like it's really hard to get the ego out of the way, but we have to do it in a way that brings the heart into the equation, right? Because that's ultimately Mm -hmm. like what we want anyways. And I'm not saying to wait around forever, but staying true to your needs, but also giving the opportunity to work through it. That's what a relationship is ultimately. Definitely. A huge takeaway for me is a pace discrepancy is just another conflict Mm -hmm. in a relationship Mm -hmm. and it's another facet of a relationship. It does not define the relationship. And I've certainly had previous experiences where it was all consuming for me, where I began to resent my partner for it. And there needs to be this reminder that this relationship was built on more than just you two talking about your pace discrepancy. Yeah. <laughs> There's just so much more to it. So that's my first big takeaway. Second one is I think having this kind of conflict sets a strong foundation for the relationship. If both partners are willing to see it that way. And I believe that throughout your relationship, you could become the accelerator or the yeah. one on the break. Mm-hmm. So setting kind of like a template for what a future pace discrepancy could look like, you're able to handle those conflicts much better. It's an opportunity to address the future too. Mm -hmm. So love all these points. And I hope that to our listeners at whatever stage you are in dating, you're able to take in some of these lessons about not just open communication, because we say that so much, but also just like creating this empathy and compassion for your partner. There's no blame or shame in any discrepancies you may have, it's an opportunity to address how you can build a stronger relationship together. So thank you so much again, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Third time's a charm. So <laughs> great to have you on our show. We'll have you back many more times if you will are willing to come back. If people want to find out more about you, where can they go, especially for your new book? Yeah, the new book is available wherever books are sold. It's called Love Every Day. And I, of course, love to send people to bookshop.org, <laughs> which um, yes. supports the independent booksellers. But then everything that is in my world is um, on dralexandrasolomon.com. There's a blog, links to social media, links to the Reimagining Love podcast and e-courses and all of the things. Wonderful. Awesome. All right. We're going to wrap up this episode. Stay Dateable. <laughs> the Dateable podcast is part of the Frolic Media Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Dateable Podcast and visit datablepodcast.com for access to all the episodes and our premium programs. Also, make sure to subscribe today if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform so you are the first to get all the latest episodes. Episodes. And most importantly, stay dateable.